Hello everyone, this is Tanika Drake and I am going to share a book with you that I've written called The Gift of Finding God's Love, Guilt and Shame Turned into My Shine. Please check that book out either on Barnes & Noble or you can find it at Amazon or any place where you can get that book. Remember, it is not okay for anyone to hurt or harm you. Please check that book out and happy reading everyone. Welcome to the Walk in Truth Christian Fellowship Church broadcast on the WITRN Network. Come join us as we study the Word of God together. Go get your Bible and let's see what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. Thank you for tuning in to Walking Truth Christian Fellowship Church Midday Bible Study. We hope that you hear something and learn something today from the scriptures. Uh, we've been on the journey of uh, salvation, soteriology, which is a study of salvation. We've studied forgiveness. We studied atonement. Uh, now we're going to talk about redemption. We talked about justification. Now, in the forgiveness, there is uh, redemption justification um, uh, so this is all part of what we have in forgiveness you know we've been redeemed bought with a price okay we, we need to understand how important our salvation is and that's why we're going through the different legs now we're taking a, a 3,000 uh, height view of it 30,000 feet we're not I'm not getting into the more of the details but I just want to give you kind of overview of this salvation that we have, the study of it is so important because there's so many questions that you need to ask behind the study of salvation. Like, okay, what do we save from? What do we save to? Who's saving us? How do they, why do they have the authority to save us? If they're saving us, how they're saving us? Who is God? Who is God to you? All these questions will determine how you interpret salvation, okay? And if you're not biblical in any of them, it kind of your whole theology falls apart. All right. Because if God is your cosmic candy man, then your salvation is to get more candy. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? If that's the way you look at God, God always wants you healthy. God always wants you wealthy. God always wants you to have more of the material world. If that's the way you look at God, then salvation is about the material world and getting stuff. But if salvation is more than that, or it doesn't even include that, which it doesn't, salvation has nothing to do with the material wealth of nothing. Okay? other than a gracious God and a sin-sick soul and God reestablishing through salvation uh, a communication that can happen between his creation, of which is man, and him uh, doing what the first Adam messed up, restoring us back. Like the Bible, like we read Sunday, he's reconciling, making straight, making the way for, for of all things heaven and earth that he created. So he's He's fixing it. He's, 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 he's making it acceptable to God. God has no more reason to pull the, pour his wrath out on those who believe. Those who don't believe, that, that damnation is still there. But for those of us who believe, we have been delivered from that tyranny. So there's no reason for you to be scared of God anymore. 
Matter of fact, you should reverence him more because you had a time to be fearful of him. Okay, in that way, fearing his wrath. The whole world did. But once Christ came, he gave you a, a way out from having to fear him in that way and reverence him for his salvation purposes. Okay, so we, 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 we're going to talk about redeem. So, Frida, what did you get for redeem? The dictionary.com definition has nine. <clears throat> Number one, to buy or pay off, clear by payment. Mm -hmm. Two, to buy back as after a tax sale or a mortgage foreclosure. Three, to recover something pledged or mortgaged by payment or other satisfaction. Four, to exchange bonds, trading stamps, etc. for money or goods. Five, to convert paper money into specie. Six, to discharge or fulfill a pledge, promise, etc. Seven, to make up for, make amends for, offset. Eight, to obtain the release or restoration of, as from captivity by paying a ransom. Number nine says theology. Mm -hmm. to deliver from sin and its consequences by means of a sacrifice offered for the sinner. So we, number eight and nine tends to be closer to what redeem means. There's something offered to pay the debt that we couldn't pay. Now, again, this is discussion, all right? When you think of redemption, but beyond the definition, how would you tell somebody that you've been redeemed? Uh, Dr. Buki, how would you express that to somebody about redemption in Christ? That my sins were uh, were canceled mm -hmm. through his through his death. Through his death, okay. Uh, Luada, what would you say to somebody who asked you about redeem redemption in Christ? I would say that um, it's like I was swimming and I needed someone to save me. Mm -hmm. And I, and Jesus Christ is the one that did it because I needed a, someone to rescue me and save me. Okay, I like both of those. All right, Jackie. Um, I would say that... Speak up just a little bit. Okay. I would say that I was I would say that I was I was saved wait your question again I'm sorry uh, redemption how would you talk about redemption to somebody I would say that at one point in my life I was doing things that I weren't really supposed to do. Okay. And then once I got into Christ who died for me on the cross, I was redeemed and you can have it too. Okay. All right. All right, Joyce, redeem redemption. What how would you tell somebody about redemption? I would say that I was have been saved from sin. Mm-hmm. Sin no longer has dominion over me. Okay. I don't want to do the things that I used to do. I want to follow Christ now. Okay. 
That's good. That's good. All these things good. Mother? I was saying that um, I was once a sinner and I didn't think about it really well. Okay. That's good. All right. All right, uh, PA, what you got? Um, I was born an enemy of God mm -hmm. and through Jesus's sacrifice, mm -hmm. I, um, God doesn't necessarily look at me as an enemy anymore because I've, that's because Christ redeemed me. That's what the redemption is. I am no longer an enemy of God. Okay. You're no longer an enemy of God. Now, doesn't redemption in itself kind of already say that um, to redeem something, it must have been yours at one period of time? You know what I'm saying? That if I'm going to redeem something, I can't really redeem something that really, uh, somewhere or another, doesn't belong to me. Because redemption means normally buy back. Mm. Buy back. Okay. Uh, when um, there's a story that everybody loves, that, that, that uh, a lot of women love, that talks about a redemption other than Jesus, a love story. Who's, who's Ruth's redemption is that? Oh, Ruth with Boaz. Ruth with Boaz. He bought her back as the kinsman redeemer. Okay, he bought her back as a kinsman redeemer. She belonged to his clan, and they had a process when somebody died, if you was a widow, that a kinsman redeemer could redeem you and remarry you, and you would go on to uh, have uh, your family and what. And it started first with the bloodline brothers, and then it would extend to other family members. And it would be up to the bloodline brothers who weren't married to decide whether they wanted to redeem or not. They were not obligated to redeem, but they were, uh, in a way, uh, next in line and was looked look to to redeem. And she got redeemed by another cancer redeemer. He brought her back. He paid for her a cost. And that's an example of God's love for us. He he loved us so much that he redeemed us back from everything that you said, your sins. He redeemed you back from the wrath of God. He redeemed you back so that you can have this relationship with him. So redemption is a part of salvation. Now, how you look at your redemption, was it something that was easily paid? Was it something that was laboriously paid? So when we think about redemption, do you think it was easy uh Loeta, was it no. an easy thing? No, it wasn't. Why not? Because there had to be a great cost for the redemption. Okay, all right. And I could never pay that cost that was paid for that redemption. Right, we could never pay that cost. So we had a debt to God that we could not pay. And God provided a way, and a lot of times when we say God provided a way that we couldn't see, we call it what? A way, when God provides a way of salvation that we could not see, He there's a story in the Old Testament that talked about God providing a way, a a, a, a a payment for himself, what we normally call that, that is not readily seen or known up until the time it is uh, manifested before. A ram in the bush. The ram in the bush was the redemptive sacrifice for who? 
For who? In the Old Testament. For who? For Isaac? Okay. All right. So let's look at Ephesians. Let's look at, let's go to scripture. And we're going we're gonna, to, you know, we're not going to just read the scripture. We're going to start above that. So free to start in uh, verse one and keep reading till I tell you to stop. Our concentration is one and seven. Ephesians chapter one, free to go start at verse one. Seven is our concentrated scripture and I'll tell her where to stop at. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Ephesians one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this greeting in this letter is to a church in Ephesus to the saints. It's to the saints. All right. And what is an apostle? Let's see anybody get that. Paul says he's an apostle, so we need why we should we listen to him? Because he's been with God, he's been with Jesus from the beginning. From the beginning of what? From the beginning of his teaching. From the beginning of his his uh salvation when he met Jesus on the road to the path. Uh Jesus appeared to him on the road to the master. Okay. Anybody else? Wanna to add to that? A person that has personally walked with Jesus. Did Paul walk with Jesus? No. no. Okay, so that's wrong. Well, he, was a, he was apostle out of time. He was what does apostle mean? Y'all gave me what apostle do, does. Y'all, what does apostle mean? One of them is a follower and one of them is a. Um, don't they start churches? Oh, one of That's a function. Oh, Okay, you, 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 uh, okay. Neither one is none, none of y'all got the answer right. Not even close. Not even close. Apostle, let, hold up. Write this down, please. Write this down. Apostle hyphen one who is sent. One who is sent. That's all, that's it. Now, one who is sent by now. Put in parentheses by. A higher authority. One who is sent by a higher authority. That's what an apostle is. Okay? One who is sent. So, if Paul's an apostle, who sent him? Jesus did. Jesus did. Yes. Jesus did. Now, y'all got the events right, kind of, sort of. But I was just looking for a real simplicity. Apostles, one who sent, is sent by authority. Now, I'm you know, give y'all a little advanced training. You can be an apostle of walking truth. How would you become apostle of walking truth? I just gave you the definition. If I send you on an assignment, yep. At that point, you're an apostle of this ministry. So in the in the in the history of church, we have the apostles of Jesus. Then sometimes we have the apostles of the church fathers. Uh, you would call Timothy an apostle. Uh, I mean, one who was sent by uh, Paul. Okay. All right. Now. It's who sends you that the authority is important. We know that Paul's an apostle, and he was commanded to, to make other pastors and teachers and whatever. So that line of apostleship has been handled down through the years. But there's no more like Paul and James and John. Okay? Paul was the only one, born, that's the way to say it, born out of a different kind of dispensation at time. Because we read Sunday that... At one time, they did handle Jesus according to the flesh. Paul never handled Jesus according to the flesh. He handled him. He dealt with strict, strictly 
the resurrected Christ. Okay? He's still strictly with the resurrected Christ. And he was given a mission that was, was, was parallel but had different nuances because that mission went directly to the Gentiles. Okay? His mission was directly to the Gentiles. All right, Frida, go ahead. Pick up where you left off at. So we know what the apostle is. Go ahead. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So where is our spiritual blessing? No, where is it at first? In Christ. In Christ. And then where is that? In the heavenly places. So for you people who are begging for blessings, the problem is not the blessing. The problem is you don't understand where they located and who gives it. You begging for something that you say, they say we got to get it. He said we already have it. So the problem is not us. I mean, the problem is not the blessing or the blesser. It has to be the way we look at it and how we attain it and how we apprehend it and how we use it in our lives. All right. It said we had some spiritual blessings. What did it say? Every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. And it's contained where? In heavenly places in Christ. In Christ Jesus. Okay. So we can see now that our, our those who are saints of God in the church, the body of Christ, we focus more on our spiritual blessings than the material blessings. But we know the prosperity gospel tells you to focus in the reverse direction. Mm -hmm. yes. And they proof themselves by saying, if God is really with you, you'll have the material. <laughs> and we say, no, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Because you can have the material and the devil can give it to you. Signs and wonders don't make a, 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 a thing of God. That's why you have to test the teachings of people by the Spirit. And the Spirit is their teachings. Because they're going to be false signs and wonders and miracles. So they're not going to be fake. The origin of them is going to be, they're going to be real. They're going to come down with these, they're going to do these real miracles. But you're going to have to be, you if you're here on earth and a child of God, you're going to have to look at the miracle, accept the miracle, and then test the origin of the miracle. And the only way you could test someone's origin is test their teaching in lieu of what the Bible says. That's what it means by test the spirit by the spirit. It ain't you going to some kind of closet and guruing yourself into understanding. You measure everything by the word of God. And if the miracle don't line up with the word of God or that teaching of that miracle leads you to a teaching that takes you away from the true and living God and the sacrifice of Christ, it's of the devil. Period. And it has nothing to do with it being real or not or it being performed. It, if the miracle was, like now, the false prophets do something and don't come true, you already know. That's one test. But there's going to come a time where what they say going to come true. And the one thing you're going to have to weigh, the way you can weigh it out and parse it out is through the word of God. That's why teaching is so important now, more so than any other time, because what you get taught will determine how you look at these things. All right? All right, Frida, go ahead. Go ahead. Because of the world is so materialistic, we get caught, in, and we get caught up ourselves, like you talked about, the helicopter. You know, to see a church or a ministry where they have the helicopters, they have the buildings that, you know, house 5,000 people, the first thing we say is, Ooh, you know, they're really blessed. Mm -hmm. And they're of God. We're, we make an assumption that, that they're, yeah. they are approved of God because of the edifice they have. Right. How much money, how much clout they have, how much influence they have. But if we think about it, those things that we measure them by like that, 
You have to say that Satan. Because you have said nothing about their teachings. You know, you, there's an assumption that we make, especially in America, being a capitalistic society. You know, wealth means God. But that's not true. Because it alienates our brothers and sisters that will never see wealth. So it can't mean one-to-one -one correlation. You know? Go ahead. Uh, you know, a lot of people say wealth means God. It's the little G-O-D, not the everlasting God. Right. It's the man-made God. It's the man-made God. Mm -hmm. Those that man worship. Mm -hmm. A lot yeah. of false gods. Yeah. And, and, the, and one of the biggest false gods is self-worship. That's your biggest, that's, that's one of the ones I worry about the most is you, you start thinking that because you talk, you know, and I got a, oh my God, I got a good series on false prophets that I got the other day on a lesson and I'm going to play that for you guys. But, you know, we'll get to that. Go ahead, Frida. We talk about redemption. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So now we see that this redemption is through what? His blood, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the, that's the price. That's the currency that was paid on our behalf. Okay. But it's only effectual, with an A, if you believe. Because only the believers get the love part of it. You remember he said he poured out his love lavishly in us, in our hearts. That love can be extended to other people, but it's really only effectual for us. Okay? It's only effectual, meaning it has... It has weight to it. it. It means something to us because we understand that this redemption is an act of love. It's the sacrifice. We're still dealing with salvation. We're not dealing with sanctification. We see in, we're, we're, we're just magnifying what occurred at Calvary. You know, the see this season that we're celebrating this baby being born, the, 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 the key to this child being born into the world was to redeem us was to bring us back into right relationship with God. And that's so important because the mystery that they talked about is Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's in Colossians. The, Jesus Christ, the mystery is Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory, which was a mystery all through the Old Testament, all through the Gospels, and didn't get realized until God, Jesus gave Paul a Gospel. That included everybody who would believe. So we're in the church age. The principles of God still stand, but we're in the age of grace. Okay. By his grace, he's given us this unmerited favor. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. This is what he wanted to do. Plan like we learn, 
way back with the fall of Adam and Eve. Okay? So this is the benefits of salvation. You know, we've been redeemed. We've been bought with a price. Okay? A price we couldn't pay. That is so important because that means if you understand that you didn't and he did, you should value that. Amen. You, there should be some value to that in your day-to-day -day thinking in life. Amen. The way that, and this is personally, the way I overcome day-to-day -day things is realize how good God has been to me. Amen. Yes, he is. And, and it has nothing to do with the, the circumstance in the moment. Because it can be horrible. I don't sit there go, oh, count it all joy. No. I count it all joy because I know that if this circumstance is the end of my life, I know where I'm going. And that's more important to me than what happens to me here. Amen. You know, all of us, some of us in this room, we've reached age. It's important we know where we're going, right? Amen. Amen. We can reach it and hopefully free to being the youngest one in it. Well, the baby girl being the youngest one in this room, you know, hopefully they'll learn it early in life so that they can be secure in their redemption. You got to can't be shaken off of this redemption. Don't let nobody shake you with, 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 with rhetorical questions. You know, why does bad things happen to good people? That's an assumption that everybody good. But the Bible says there's none good. No, not one. So we ended that discussion. We all deserve to die. What you should be asking yourself is, God is so good to you that he didn't choose you to die today in your sins. So that's how good God is. He giving you a second chance, a second breath. You know, when we wake up every morning, that's another opportunity to come to God or get closer to God if you're, in the, if you're a saint of God. So we see this redemption. We see where it's held at. Can, let me ask you, can anybody take the redemption from you? Can somebody else buy you back? No. No. No, because if they could, that means you could lose your salvation. And you can't. And you can't. I know you 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 could do some horrible things as a saint of God. Don't think you can't, because you can. Okay? That just means that that you have uh decided to yield yourself again to what God has freed you from. Okay? And uh his grace covers that. He it's kind of it's kind of interesting. The more I, the more I get into grace, I understand how magnificent it is because I don't get to choose who, who, when they fall, if that's going to be the one, if I, if I, if I espouse to losing it, that, uh, that it's up to me to decide that. And when God clearly teaches, he, he doesn't teach that. And I know in Hebrews, and like I said, we're going to go through that. I can prove to you that he's not talking to us. You know, he's talking to the nation of Israel pretty much because it says he to the, to, to the Hebrews. So, I mean, we can get into that, but not today. All right, let's look at Galatians. Let's see if we see any different aspect of it. I mean, I'm thinking redemption might be cut and dry based upon what you guys have said. But let's look at Ephesians. I mean, Galatians chapter 2. Uh, free to start at like, uh, what I got, 220? Start at around 215 or when the, when the, when the sentence began. 220 is the one we're going to concentrate on, but go ahead. 215. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners... Is Christ then a servant of sin? 
Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgression. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So we see again the same pattern. You got specifically the blood, but we got the giving of oneself. Him giving himself for us. Okay? We're not justified by our works. What does that mean? Anybody start, anybody start the conversation? What does that mean we're not justified by our works? You mean I can't do some stuff for God and take it to God and say, look at me? I mean, tell, I mean, what does that mean that I'm not justified by works? Why can't I do that to God? Why can't I take my good works to God? Because the Bible says your, all your works are like filthy rags. Even the good ones on our best day when we try, it's never enough to satisfy our death. Okay. So, no, but then, and, and, uh, that's right. You're not wrong. You're right. So it's it's not good enough to satisfy our debt. So is it that God is so holy that even the works that we do don't don't rise to holiness? Is that true? Yes. Yeah. Because we are. Yeah, we're not holy. Yeah, we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. So even the works we do do that may be for God, uh, when we're not saved, doesn't rise to holiness. But even when we do the works once we saved, does it change our dispensation of our works or how how He looks at our works? What's the difference between me serving pancakes at the homeless shelter saved and me sharing the pancakes at the homeless shelter unsaved? Because he said even heathens take care of heathens. So what's the difference? Faith. You have to do it in love. You're doing it to the glory of God when you're saved. Uh -huh. Well, uh, faith, when you said faith, I'm, do, I'm serving pancakes. Mm -hmm. And the person next to me serving pancakes. Mm -hmm. They're doing it because of the poor. I'm doing it because of the poor. Okay, that's something we both doing. You can't tell who's saved and who's not saved. Uh, when he take his works to God versus me taking that work to God, what's the difference? You're saved and why is he going? Why, why should God accept mine and not his? He's doing the same right. thing. But in your, your scripture there says, exactly quoted, but if I never knew you, uh, would that go with that meaning that the person who was just doing it just to do it, you know. Well, I, I want to give them noble reasons for doing it. They want to help the homeless. They're not doing it. They're not down to serve pancakes in 10 below zero weather just to be doing something. They really like helping homeless people, but they're not saved. So, 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 so why is God, why does God consider that work a filthy rag and either my work a filthy rag too? Or is that, or, or is there something that has happened to where he may look at my work a little different? Our, as a saved person, our our catalyst for giving should be the Christ gave to us. Okay. Our catalyst for feeding the homeless or the feeding the less unfortunate is we realize how unfortunate we were without God and God gave to us. God saved us, served us. So we do it because we realize that God did it. Okay. But for an unsaved person, they could be doing it. For look at me, okay. or I'm, 
you know, well, well, that I, I, you know, I don't want to take, I don't want to take away from the fact the person could be doing it for, for a good cause. Okay, I know we use that extreme, but that's an extreme end. The person could be doing it because they're a good person. People are relatively good. There are some people that's relatively good people. They're not saved yet. Okay, and I just want y'all to think about that. I'm not going to really go into the some more than the answers, but I mean, all of your answers. All I just want y'all to think about that. Two people doing the same thing. Don't put them at the end of they doing it to get the picture taken. Take it they doing it because they want to do it just like you want to do it. But there's got to be a difference between how God looks at it and you look at it. And God looks at them doing it. They could be doing it to try to get into heaven. They think that this is how you get into heaven. So in other words, they're going to take their good works and try to present to God and say, God, look what I've done. Measure it up to my bad things because I don't think I've done anything bad. And I should be able to get into heaven. Yeah, relatively good. And the good and the saved person is going to take the good works of God and say what? Because of Christ in me. Because of what you've done for me. I could do this. I'm gonna present this work to you with without expecting what? Anything. Anything. Because you still need his grace. And you still need his redemption. So even in your best day, presenting your works to gain something out of Christ makes you now your work worthless. But if you're presenting your works because you love Christ and you don't need you don't need an accolade, you don't need nobody to see, you don't need nothing. You're doing it because, like Frida says, and some of you said, you're doing it because you love God and what he's done for you. The act of salvation has nothing to do with your sanctification process yet. We still talk about that initial, that, that appreciating the salvation of the Lord, okay? The salvation part, all right? So, yeah, all of you guys are on the right track. But these are the things that we think about. That was good. And yes, Jackie, that does fall into you're going to do these things for God and he's going to say, I never knew you. You're going to say some things and that scripture says you're going to say some things and you're going to do some things. You're going to make some professions and confessions and you're going to do some some kind of work. And he's going to say, get away from me, you you person of work with iniquity. I never knew you. And you're going to be cast into outer darkness. Okay. And the reason why the the that's I think that's in Hebrews, right? I think the reason why that scripture is so important is because you have to remember the whole Jewish system that they had messed up, they based it upon works, not the reality of the substance or the shadow to come. They were given things to do, and if they pursued it by faith, but the Bible also says they didn't obtain righteousness because they didn't pursue the righteousness by faith. Okay, they didn't pursue it by faith. So that's the big, that's the problem. They did not pursue it by faith. All right. Everything we do in God right now is we do it by faith and leave it up to God to either honor it or dishonor it. But you never have to worry about being condemned from it. Right. Because we read, we know that the Bible says there's no more condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So think about those of us who are in Christ Jesus that have been saved by Christ Jesus. We have these heavenly gifts that's in Christ Jesus, and he pours out his love lavishly to us. And his, and his ability to pour out his, word, his love lavishly does not depend on what you want, but what he's willing to do. He's willing to pour his love out on anybody who's part of his kingdom, is one of his children. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't give me more of one thing and give you less of another based upon performance. Because the only performance that we have that we can base anything on with God is his performance at Calvary and his resurrection after Calvary. Okay? Now, 
you, one might take what I just said and say, well, we don't need to do nothing. Oh, yes, we do. We're commanded to be in this world and be his ambassadors, which means we learn Sunday. That takes on a whole different character because now you are an apostle, ambassador, sent out into the world to proclaim Christ and try to get people included that have, are still enemies of God. You want them to know the effectual relationship that you have with God, with the effect of what was done at the cross. All right. You want them to have that. All right. All right, Frida, what's our next text? Colossians 1 14. Colossians 1 14. So start at, uh, start somewhere like 12. Tell us where you're starting at. Nine. So you're going to start at 9. Colossians 1 9. The verse we're looking at is 1 14. Go ahead. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So did you know something? We get we these words, every spiritual blessing, all wisdom. There's a lot to get in being in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it's all, it's everything is in him. Everything is in him. The wisdom, the blessings, the knowledge. This is all in him. Go ahead. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So we see again, repeat, 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 repeat. The redemption gives us the forgiveness of our sins. Okay. Without the shedding of blood, there's no no remission of sins, no forgiveness of sins. And the blood that needed to be shed was, was one like us that could pay for the sin for us. The bulls and goats that the Jews did, did, did it, it, it gave us time. And we were on probation. And it only proved even on probation we couldn't do it. No matter what king was there, even David, no matter what who was there, we fell short of the glory of what God wanted to achieve in us. But it also proved that something greater than who we are would have to come and, and pay the debt that we could not pay and that these, these dumb animals were just a covering until such time come. But it still was going to come through the nation of Israel, which it did through the tribe of Judah, which it did. And then we get to the Gospels. Then we get to the point where it, it says he came unto his own, which was the nation of Israel. They received him not. But in their rejection brought about our inclusion. So sometimes we can see that somebody's rejection of the atonement, of the redemption, of what was offered to him. When he screamed out, believe upon me, as the scripture has said, he said, all those who thirst come unto me, believe upon me, as the scripture has said, now your belly shall flow rivers of living water. They weren't ready to receive that living water, but that same living water was talked about in the Old Testament. Okay? So it's not as if they were receiving something new. They have gotten so, uh, um, uh, uh, they have apostatized so much that they couldn't see. Their sin had become, their religion had become their sin. Their self-righteousness had become their sin. Yes, they were the chosen people, not because they were special, because God just simply chose them. And they began to think they were better than people. They began to think they only had the keys to people. And that's when what happens in religion and in churches today. 
The, the person that's in leadership or the people that's in leadership began to think they are the holder of all knowledge to God. And it don't help when you got a congregation that puts them on the pedestal like that. They're just mere men and women and they have egos. And if you feed into the ego, you're setting them up to fail. Okay? You're setting them up to fail. It's either about all of us or none of us. Okay? But in him, we have this redemption. Not in pastor, in him. Only time I need to be listened to when I'm talking about God. That's the only authority that I have over your life, even if it's considered over. It says we're the watcher over your soul. Well, your soul need the word of God. You love, you govern your own life. If you need me to ask, you ask me a question, remember this. I may give my opinion and I may give above a nine times out of 10. I'm going to search the scriptures and try to answer it scripturally to help you. Okay. But that's the only authority I have is it's in this word. I don't have authority to tell you who to marry, who to, who to be with, who to school go to. You talk to God yourself. He died so you can have a conversation with him. Okay. And if you tell me God told you, then we'll see if it bears any fruit. And if it doesn't bear any fruit, you lied on God. But we're not scared to lie on God. That's how good grace is. The people ain't scared to lie on God no more. God told me this. God told me that. Yeah. But most people talk like that on a regular basis. What <sighs> <laughs> 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 God are they talking about? Well, they think they're talking about Jesus. I don't. I mean, that's what they're claiming. But uh, uh, there's no proof in that. All right. What's our next scripture, Frida? Colossians 1, 20 through 22. Read that. Um, starting in 19. Okay. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So now we have the word reconciliation in there. He's reconciling. We talked about that Sunday. He's making the way right. He's bought us with his blood. And if you notice this in him, all this fullness of the Godhead dwells within him. So, so you have three or four uh, scriptures where it talks about this power of the fullness of the Godhead dwelling with him. We have been redeemed. We have been bought. We have been, he's reconciling the world and everything back unto him. Okay. That's the beauty of the redemption is that you have to really understand one thing in particular that you couldn't do it for yourself. He did it all for you. You get no credit. He gets it all and you worship him in that way as if you couldn't have done it yourself, knowing that. Not if, you couldn't do it yourself. Yeah, you worship him with that understanding. That's part of worshiping in spirit and in truth. If you even begin to say that you did something, you had something to do with your salvation, you just went from the truth to a lie. And the lie don't have no spirit in it. And it's not the spirit of God, it's the spirit of Satan. Okay? It's just that simple. You know, there's a difference between being ignorant and there's a difference between being willfully ignorant to suit your ego. You know, nine times out of ten, if you've been in church for any period of time, depending on how you've been taught, uh, you should know the difference between the word of God and your and your flesh. You should begin to know the difference and govern yourself accordingly. 
to that. Walk worthy. We just said walk worthy of your calling. When you walk worthy of a calling, when you understand the difference between you and the flesh and your new man, the new creation you become, which is spiritual, that should be governing your body. Again, we're going back to the pre-fall Adam relationship with God to be completed upon our, well, the next phase is our death, go to be with God and awaiting the fullness of time to where the Gentiles come in and we all going to be raised again. And now we're going to be judged on what we did in the body, in the earth, but we're not going to be judged to go to hell. We're going to be judged for rewards. And even in that, the Bible says, even after he gives us the crown, to be with him is going to be so much better than any kind of gold. And these are figurative things than having a crown, authority, and royalty. It says that to be with him and, and to love him, we're going to take off our crown and what? Give it to him. Throw it at his feet. Give it to him. And give it back to him. Yes. Because there's nothing material that can, can, can even 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 reach an importance or value to me and to you should be knowing Jesus. That should be our biggest thing, knowing Jesus. And with that, that helps us relate to other people because now you can look at people according to the spirit and not after the flesh. Because your whole lifestyle is based upon what you've learned in this from the word of God to govern your daily lives to help you deal with people, look at them when they do anything, if they're doing anything, even if a saint of God is acting out of pocket, you know what that is. It's their flesh. And if you know what it is, then, you, then it's upon you to help them, remind them of the cure that was given for them. But it's not to beat them up. The Bible in Galatians 6 and 1 tell us when a brother falls or sister falls in a fault, we're supposed to restore them. Now, restoring them doesn't, restoring them takes one, takes another phase too. I want to tell you this. You can't restore somebody that don't admit they've done anything wrong. Don't run to telling them they've they forgiven until they understand that what they've done was wrong. Because if you tell me I'm forgiven, I don't think I've done anything wrong. That, that don't mean nothing to me. Yeah, what's the point of you? Well, I forgive you. What I do? Oh, I ain't do that. <laughs> So no, I, you can you can go and forgive me, but I, I don't figure I need forgiveness because I don't think I've done anything. That's the difference. That's the difference. All right, Frida, go ahead. Um, and Colossians will go to Psalm. Go to did you are we done with Colossians, right? Okay, go to uh go to Titus. I didn't give you this one. Titus two fourteen. And then we'll go to Psalms. Just read that scripture. Titus 2.14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. Start at 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So now we need to we understand that the purpose for salvation, one of our on our responsibility is to do what? Renounce what? Renounce ungodliness. Renounce ungodliness. Worldly passions. Worldly passions. We renounce it, meaning that we do not let it control us. If we see it, we deal with it. We don't act like it's not there. We don't leave it up to God. 
to, oh, God, let you handle it because I don't want to say nothing. I don't want them mad at me. No, renounce means you turn away and you tell them you're turning away. And you plead with them to turn away because you want them saved. And I know that's hard for some of us because we want to be the world's friend. But the Bible tells us if we are friends with the world, we're enemies with God. And I don't care what relationship it is, the blood relationship, cousin, daughter, doesn't make a difference to me. You should love them enough to want them saved. Amen. What I'd rather for my brother to be my enemy on earth because I gave him the gospel and to see him in heaven and I go before him and eventually he gets saved. Amen. <clears throat> because we have an eternity to, 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 to talk about how foolish he was. <laughs> but, you know, and that's how we have to look at people as souls that need to be saved. And if you start looking at that, People like that, when they act out of pocket, especially the unsaved, they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're following the prince of the, uh, uh, following the prince of the power of the air, following the course of this world. Okay, that's in Ephesians chapter two, and it says we once were like that. Okay, we once were like that, but we have to explain. We renounce passions. Go ahead, read that again. Start up their passion again. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion. Training us. Training us. Teaching us. It don't come natural to renounce. That's why teaching is so important. We're training. When you come to Bible study, you're you in training. Sunday service is not training. Sunday service is worship. Now we're teaching. You got to be trained to walk away from the ungodliness. Go ahead. And to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age and today's time you got to be trained to do right <clears throat> to live for god it don't come natural okay it don't come natural we got to learn we got to be trained to live upright the only thing that can train to live upright is the word and the holy spirit all right go ahead waiting for our blessed hope and appearing and appearing of the glory of our great god and savior jesus christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So in other words, our redemption, he redeemed us and those who are redeemed should be zealous towards good works for God. That means you should be looking for opportunities to show how much you appreciate redemption. All right. Read that passage again about redemption. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. To purify who? A people. Now, when he said a people, he didn't say a Jewish people, did he? No. He didn't say black people, did he? No. He didn't say anything ethnic or sociological or economic or political. He said a people for himself. Not for themselves, because we read, we talked Sunday, we talked about uh, in Corinthians, where it says that you would give up your life to live for the one who saved you. That you not concentrate on self because you're understanding that God has saved you to be a particular, peculiar people for his sake. And his sake, we know, is to deliver the gospel to people. The fruit bearing is in the gospel. Okay, the fruit bearing is not necessarily in some things that we think it is that we can do in church, 
But the fruit bearing is in the gospel and how you live your life knowing the gospel. All right. That that is so crucial. You know, how many people have you told Christ about? Now, this is the key to the fruit. This is what I want to tell you. There's a fruit in your life of upright. We read that good work, zealous. That's fruit in your life. Okay. The fruit as an ambassador is the fact that you give out the gospel. Now, do you worry about the uh, effect of the gospel? Do you worry about the response? No. Why not? Because that's left up to God. That's left up to God. How, what scripture tells us is left up to God. You, might, you, you can paraphrase it if you want to. What scripture tells us that the salvation part, after we give the gospel part, the means, is left up to God? What, part, what scripture? Everybody should know this one. Is that the, you plant the seed another yeah. man Well, somebody said. I heard mumbles, but you got to say it so the people can hear it. What did it say? One man... And then what does it say right after that that's, that nails it the coffin that is God? What what does he say? Neither the man who plants or waters is what? Anything, anything. but God who gives the increase. Okay, and that was on the heels of everybody talking about I was baptized by Paul, I was baptized by so and so, I follow this one, I follow that one. And, uh, and all of them were good men of God. But again, think about this. The people began to idolize them. And Paul was smart enough to say, no, 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 no. This ain't how this work. Epaphroditus, uh, Timothy, whoever, they are, we are all messengers of God. And one plants another water, but God gives an increase. And neither the one who plants don't raise them up. Neither the one who waters don't raise them up. But God who gave you the increase. Focus on the giver of the gift. Ministers, ambassadors, preachers, fellow brothers and sisters are a gift of God to the, to, to the rest of mankind. But God made you a gift. But not a gift to boast on yourself, a gift to boast in him. If we could just understand the humility to which we should walk every day. And it's a learning experience. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. Now, walking in humility does not mean you don't deal with stuff. That's a false humility. If, 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 uh, if, if somebody hits you in the head with an orange, you've been hitting the head with an orange. Don't sit there and pretend like it didn't happen. That's not humility. That's being foolish. It's not humility to admit you sick and you know you sick. God is not, you ain't impressing God with that false sense of faith. As if you not saying it impresses God. You lying, <laughs> make God look at you like what? I'm not going to claim it. You don't have to claim it. Think about it. I'm the God, I let it come on you. Yeah, I want you to reach out to me, but don't act like it ain't there. That'd be like Jesus saying, I ain't go to the cross. <laughs> and you I should be able to have joy during that time. Yeah, you can have joy. You can have joy. You can have sorrow. You can have all of that. But don't sit here and pretend like once you start lying and pretending, it don't stop there. Mm -hmm. 
You you just keep the you just keep it going. You just keep it going in your theological relationship with God. You allow to God. You'll say, "Well, God, it impressed you that I didn't claim it." And and and, and really, all the thing you've done is is lie on God, and then you think maybe maybe what you did you got better. Thank God, God don't bestow stupidity on you. He imputes righteousness to you even when you're stupid. So yeah, he wants he may want he may heal you. And then you think the formula is don't say nothing. Now, what you gonna do with that? You're gonna tell somebody else that. Don't say nothing. Don't go. Hold up. Don't say nothing and don't go to the doctor. But you didn't tell them you went to the doctor. But maybe you didn't go and you got better. But the fact that you've been redeemed supersedes all of that. That's just surface stuff. Your redemption, your redemption healed you from the worst thing that, that you got in you. Sin. sin. Like I say, you don't have to keep skimming the surface and skip the, skipping the rocks across the surface. You need to let that thing sink deep into God so you can understand your relationship to, to God himself. We have to get there, saints. We, we, I mean, and I know you're going to get there because the Bible says the good work he started in you, he's going to complete. So my, my, I'm never worried about saints getting where God already ordained, predestined you to be. When we talk about predestination and redemption and all that, think about this. All those in Christ Jesus already have a first class ticket in heaven. We are predestined to go. We just don't know when we're going to get there. Okay? And those who don't receive Christ Jesus, guess what? They predestined to work. Hell. Everybody gets so bit out of shape about predestination. And, and, and again, it's so simple. You know, because they want to work at it. They want to work at it. So redemption is, is again, we go to Psalms so we can finish up. Go to Psalms. Psalms 111 and what? Nine. Now I start at 1. Um, 111.1. Mm -hmm. Read to 9. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. See, so you are willing to, to, give, to give God some praise in the company of the upright. Who are the upright? Fellow Who are saints. fellow saints? Fellow believers. So you shouldn't be shy to give God some praise in front of fellow believers. You're in the company of the upright. Okay? Now we're upright because of what? Because of the redemption. Right. We have imputed righteousness. We're only considered upright, not because of what we do, but because, again, we always go back to him. Remember I taught y'all a long time ago, as long as you keep Jesus on the throne, you'll never have any problem understanding anything. The minute you bring him down and talk about he your coffee buddy and he sat next to you in the truck and all that stuff, that, that ain't true. You lying. God ain't saying that. Jesus ain't leaving, leaving his job to, 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 to intercede for us to come down and sit next to you and sip on some Coca-Cola. Don't blaspheme God like that. That's taking his name in vain. That's, that vain word in the Hebrew is empty. You're using his name for em in empty ways. And people are not scared anymore because he's so gracious. But they, but what's happened is God will get the last laugh because he's playing, playing hangman with you. You think you're doing something and he said, nope, that's the circle. That's the head. You know how you play hangman. To eventually when you die, you hung. And you hung yourself because you didn't believe upon him in the scripture said. That's your choice. All right, go ahead. Great are the works of the Lord, 
Studied by all who delight in them. See, learn, teach. We study all those who delight in the Lord. We study. We study. We study. Study is a learning word. Isn't that right, uh, Dr. Buki? Yes. All right. See, I got a real educator in here. Okay. I got super Dr. Buki. Super educator. So she's going to correct me. If, 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 if studying is, a, is studying is not even spiritual, studying is that you actually get into the word. Sister I mean, what do you think? You've been a teacher. If I say I'm going to study something, what is that? When you want your students to study, what do you want them to do? Dig into it deeper. Research. Chew on it. The Bible talks about chewing on the word of God like a cow chews on the cud. Over and over and over again. Just because you knew you got a glimpse of what the scripture said yesterday, dig a little deeper into it today. You might get a, a, a better understanding. Or you might have been wrong and get a different understanding. Okay? Be willing to ask questions of the scripture. You know what I'm saying? When you don't understand nothing, something. Go ahead. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Amen. So he sent redemption to his people. Now let's back up. This was in the Psalms. So the redemption that he's talking about to his people, what do you think he's talking about then? And I'm going to tell you, he's talking about the nation of Israel, but there's a precept because he sent redemption to us too in Jesus, but, but, but Jesus hadn't been born yet. So when did he send redemption to his people? Israelites, when did he send redemption to them? What, what is the big event that God always tried to remind them about? Bringing them up out of Egypt. Passover was the event, but but he always tells, "Remember when I bought you out of Egypt? Remember when I bought you out of Egypt?" See what he see back even back then he was trying to get them to see the power of his redemption based upon what he promised. Israel wasn't doing nothing in particular that was necessarily good to deserve. To be redeemed out of 400 years of slavery. He even told him, you're going in for 400 years. Okay? But he said, there's going to come a time and I'm going to come get you. And he did. He sent Moses. But think about it. Even when he sent Moses, it was a prelude to when prophets come into their own people. Even they didn't want to receive Moses at first. They didn't want to receive Moses at first because they figured, here come the man that's going to upset the problem. And going, hold up. And Pharaoh going to get down on us even more. And Pharaoh did. But Moses stayed true to the mission was telling Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me. And Pharaoh didn't. And we know Pharaoh's demise. But the people had to suffer through learning who God was. And one of the reasons why God 
graced them to be in the wilderness for 40 years so they could begin to learn God even the more before they walk into the promised land. But even then, right before they go in, the 10 spy tales, the story of the 12 spies tell you there's only going to be a remnant to truly understand even the word that we're talking now. Because they look at things through the, through the flesh. They look at every experience through the flesh. And if God has allowed some kind of affliction or sickness or illness or financial trouble to come on you, you need to ask God, not why, but Lord, what do you need? What are you trying to show me about you? And what are you trying to show me how I should respond? And we know we read it all the time that affliction and challenges of God and all that are to help us build up our endurance, our patience, our long suffering. There's a benefit to your trouble. But you have to get past the, the pain of the trouble and look into the spirit of what God is trying to do with the trouble. I would rather have all the ailments I have and know God than be free of them and not know them. I can say that. I'm not expecting you to say that. I had to learn. You see, Sister Brown, I had to study into that. I had to pray into that. Like with all the afflictions that I even that I may go through personally, whatever it may be, through the body or through the natural man, I understand that I've been forgiven. And therefore, even though things may come, I, I, but I need to be in a forgiving type of uh, a state of mind at all times because that magnifies the truth of God in me. The way I feel about redemption, the way, <clears throat> the way I feel about atonement, the way I feel about forgiveness, all that's part of salvation. And our relationship to salvation covers all of that and the depths of that can never be mined in a lifetime. But you can go deeper into salvation and the deeper you go into your, what has been done for you, the better you can deliver it to somebody else. The better cake that you make for make and understanding salvation, soteriology, the better way you can explain the gospel to them. Because the gospel is your tool. The gospel is your power. The gospel is the thing that you deliver up to people and persuade people to come to Christ based upon the warning. We read in uh, Corinthians, uh, Paul says, I, we warn people. What do you warn them about? Impending doom. And you make it real. Frida gave us about all those things about hell. If you got to give it to them, let them read it for themselves. And just ask the question. Even if you don't believe necessarily this place that we described right here, do you would you want to go there? And if they say no, well, say, think about this. We have a way for you not to go there. Well, I, I, I don't I don't do, but that's the world standard. You know, when they start comparing themselves to the world, you can show in the Bible, you compare yourself to the world, you know, that's worldly. There's always somebody to be nicer than you, a better performer than you. But you will not outperform what Jesus did. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Oh, gracious Holy Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. Continue to bless us as we go forward in faith. Lord, we taking a, a high altitude of view at salvation. And Lord, let us continue the conversation into other areas of your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So. Thank you for tuning in to the Walk in Truth Christian Fellowship Church broadcast on the WITRN network. Come join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time for Sunday worship. Bible study is held on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. We are located at 3006 North Lindbergh Boulevard Suite 711, St. Louis, Missouri, 
6-3074. All are welcome and we look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for listening to the Walk in Truth Radio Network broadcast. If this message has been a blessing to you consider donating on your favorite platform. You can donate by looking in the description box and picking your favorite platform of choice, Venmo, Cash App or PayPal. Continue listening. And your prayers are needed, welcomed and appreciated. Mm-hmm.